Welcome to the podcast for Green Hill Church. You can find out more information about Green Hill Church and how to take your next step with Jesus online at greenhillchurch.com. Hey man, what a way to worship this morning. Thank you for uh, Cameron and his uh, team just uh, ushering us in right there to a time of uh, worship. And he is worthy, amen? I got uh, so excited over here uh, uh, dancing and singing that uh, Pastor Cameron told us to sit down and I was halfway out in the aisle. Only got one cheek on the seat, but I saved myself. I didn't fall on the floor, but man, I was out there in the aisle and uh, uh, he said, sit down for the offering. And I kind of sat down and almost uh, missed the whole chair and ended up in the floor. So what a, what a way to uh, worship this morning. And uh, thank you, Pastor uh, Cameron, for that. And I think you can uh, hear the theme of uh, this morning as we have walked through this uh, worship set that uh, he truly is worthy of our song. And uh, we've uh, been uh, talking the last few weeks about um, legalism. And uh, overcoming legal, legalism and uh, freedom that we can find in uh, Jesus Christ. And the greatest defense that we have against legalism is worship. When we worship and we cry out that He is worthy, there's nothing in ourselves that we can do. It's all about Him. It's nothing about us. So the greatest defense that you can have against uh, uh, legalism and uh, works righteousness is just having a worshipful heart and crying out over and over again that he is worthy and he is worthy because it puts us in our right posture. Amen. And that's where we need to be this morning is in that right posture of humility at uh, the feet of Jesus. Uh, For you guys uh, uh, in the room here, we have these boxes ready for you to go today for our uh, kids ministry. If you're uh, online with us today, you'll be able to get yours next week or, uh, or call the uh, church office and we'll save you one of these. But this is our way uh, as a, as a uh, next-gen team to be able to walk with you guys uh, and your families uh, in uh, shepherding the uh, Christmas season in the uh, right way at your home. So uh, our next-gen team has uh, put this uh, box together. Uh, Kathy and her team, I'm so proud of them and all the work that they've put into this. But this is an Advent box that you'll be able to take home with you today. And as you take it home, there's all different kinds of activities uh, that are in here. And it gives you all the uh, instructions here uh, with a little welcome letter. And then it kind of helps you walk through the different days of uh, the Advent season in a really purposeful way. And in this box, it is like Advent for dummies, okay? Not that I'm calling any of you dummies in the room, but this is Advent for dummies. Like everything that you need to shepherd your family well is already in the box, all right? So every week is already number is already numbered for you. So you just get out on the Sunday uh, of that week and you get it out and you go through it, do the instructions that are in there. And uh, there's crafts and there's activities and Bible stories. And you're like, well, I'm not a very crafty person. Well, guess what? We have all the stuff in here already for you that you will need to be able to do all of these uh, crafts that are in here. All right. So you don't have to go anywhere uh, to get them. Everything's in here. Uh, There's everything that you would need to be able to uh, talk through the Christmas story with your uh, children. There's one for every week, and then there's also one for uh, Christmas Day. And so I would invite you to take one of these with you and uh, use it in an intentional way to be able to shepherd your family through uh, the Christmas season. 
In this box here is enough to do three children. If you have more than three children in your family, you need to grab an extra envelope uh, that's in the hallway for each one of the uh, extra kids that you have. So this box will do three. Um, get, you, get the other ones that you need so that you can walk through it well with uh, your family. This is uh, such a big treat. Uh, I can't wait to do it with my boys. And uh, I would encourage you to take the time, take the investment, and uh, use this with your family uh, this week. If you're a grandparent in the room, and uh, I, could, I would even encourage you to grab some of those. There's 60 boxes in the hallway, and if we need to make more, uh, we will. But uh, those went over really well last year, and we're excited about offering them again uh, to you. I can't believe it's the Christmas season. Nobody does Christmas faster than Green Hill Church. We're already giving out green, we're already giving out Advent boxes, and Christmas on the Hill is this coming weekend. You're like, it's not even December yet. It will be, it just by day, it'll be when Christmas on the Hill gets here. So Friday and Saturday this week will be our gift to the community. This is our gift as a church to the community to invite them onto our campus uh, as a way to be able to experience the Christmas season. And so if you've never been to that before, I'd invite you to make sure that you're here. Come do some ice skating. We'll have uh, crafts. We'll have uh, food, uh, caroling, singing, all that kind of stuff. Even this year, we've added an extra layer uh, to be able to uh, take care of our students student ministry. In the past, uh, a lot of uh, stuff has been kid-centered, but uh, this year we're going to have a, a student ministry tent as well with a lot of fun stuff that's in there. So students, make sure that you come for this as well. Invite your friends, invite your neighbors, those that are church, unchurch, just invite them all. This is a gift to the community, and uh, you'll hear more about that in the announcements at the end of the service today. So the Christmas season is uh, upon us if we, uh, if we like it or not. All right, so grab your Bibles and turn to Galatians chapter number five. We're going to be there today. We started Galatians chapter five last week, and uh, we'll be in it for the next two weeks. Um, for those that are new in the building today, uh, my name is Casey Coulter. I am the family pastor. I've had the privilege of preaching the last two weeks, and Pastor Brandon, our uh, lead pastor, he'll be back next week, and uh, he will finish up uh, Galatians uh, chapter uh, number five. When I was uh, preparing for Galatians 5, I was talking to Abby about it. And I said, hey, babe, I'm going to be uh, preaching through Galatians 5 uh, for uh, the next two weeks. And she, in a puzzling way, looked at me and said, isn't uh, Galatians 5 the fruits of the Spirit? And I said, it is. And she said, uh, they picked you to do the uh, fruits of the Spirit? And I said, uh, yes, they did. And uh, she said, well, good luck with that. And uh, I was hurt deep inside about that. I was healing from that wound until me and Pastor Brandon sat down to talk about the messages that were coming up in the series. And uh, he said, hey, you're going to have Galatians 5. And I said, okay, I got it. He said, but I don't want you to preach the fruit of the Spirit. And I'm like, why do you not want me to uh, preach the fruit of the Spirit? He said, because I want to preach the fruit of the Spirit. So you can do all the verses up to the fruit of the Spirit, but you cannot preach the fruit of the Spirit. So it wounded me again. And uh, I'm like, man, I don't know if the Holy Spirit's trying to teach me something or what. But uh, truly, uh, the fruit of the Spirit is what we are going to introduce uh, today. Um, I had the opportunity to preach this uh, a couple years back at the BCM at MTSU, the Baptist uh, College Ministry. They were going through a, a series on the fruit of the Spirit, and they invited me in as one of the uh, speakers to speak with a bunch of other uh, pastors, and uh, they assigned me the uh, section on patience. Patience. And I was like, okay, I can do this. And, uh, uh, and uh, Abby really laughed at me that day when she said, hey, they picked you for patience. I, I said, no, I think nobody else wanted to do it, so I was, uh, I was assigned to do it. Uh, but one of my mentors used to tell me this. He said, preach from your weakness and you'll never run out of material. 
And so this morning, I'm preaching from my weakness, all right? But I, if I could just say this over all of us, well, we're all going to be listening from our weakness, right? Because the uh, fruit of the Spirit seems like a uh, set of characteristics that we could never uh, live up to, and that was the way that it was written for uh, a reason. You see, the fruit of the Spirit is what it identifies us as a follower of Christ. An unfruitful Christian is a contradiction, uh, listen to these verses just from the uh, teaching of Jesus that he had to say while he had his earthly ministry. He said, you will recognize them by their fruits. The kingdom of God will be given uh, to those who produce fruit. John 15, 5 says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. John 15 and verse 8 says, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. The proof that God has entered into your life will be a fruit that's outwardly uh, seen. So if you have your Bible, grab it and turn to Galatians chapter 5. We're going to start at the end and then work our way back. All right, so we're going to start at verse number uh, 22 together, the most famous verse in this uh, chapter. We'll kind of start there and work our way backwards as we talk today. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If you write in your Bibles, I would, I would encourage you to underline the word of. The preposition there is there for a reason. This is not a fruit that we produce. This is a fruit that the Spirit produces in us. Thus, it says the fruit of the Spirit. You also note that this is a singular term, not a plural term. A lot of times you'll hear, hear people say the fruits of the Spirit. It is the fruit of the Spirit because it is not an exhaustive list. These are not all the characteristics that could come from the Holy Spirit. This is a list of them that Paul gives us. But these are all singular in nature, one fruit. These are the characteristics that the Spirit produces in you while you choose to plant the root of your faith in the soil of the gospel. When it comes to producing fruit, the Spirit is the only one that can do it. If I can just be kind this morning and not rude to you, you cannot produce the fruit. Only the Holy Spirit can produce the fruit. The good news is Jesus wants to produce this, spirit, this fruit in you. So before we go more in depth into this passage, I want to just uh, give you uh, some initial instructions. We're not going to go through every single one of these uh, fruits today. We're going to save that for next week. But if I did go through every single one of them and describe them to you in, uh, in detail, uh, a lot of times when we do that, it will give us this sense of, as a person, that here's a list of all the things that I should be doing. And the Bible communicates to you in that, that you are uh, too prideful, too uh, bad, too self-sufficient. And the Bible says you need to be more loving and more kind. Now those are true, but that, was, that is not the issue that Paul is trying to present to us this morning. Because he is fighting against legalism, and then he gives you a list now, that doesn't sound like it would work too well together. I'm going to fight against legalism, but I'm going to give you a list of things to do. This, this list of things to do is not action steps for you to be a better person. It's a way for you to cultivate change in your life. What I want you to hear today is not a step of actions to take, but I want you to leave here with a worshipful heart towards the one who can change your life. 
Paul desired for the Galatians is not for them to have a new set of manners. It was for them to be a new creation in Christ. And so this is the lens with which the, Paul presents to us the fruit of the Spirit. If you take these as rules, the best case for you is that you are going to become uh, prideful. If you take these as a list of rules, the worst thing, the worst case scenario for you is that you're going to feel hopeless. I don't want you to leave here today needing another thing to do, a way to live, a way to be better. Because the gospel never communicated that to us. The gospel communicates to us to look to Jesus and his ability to save and sustain and to sanctify us. That's the hope that we find in the gospel. It's not about doing more or being better or living better. It's about living in this new creation that Christ has called us to live in fellowship with the Holy Spirit. So with that in mind and with that intention, I want you to look back at verse number 16. It says this in verse number 16, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For those are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So we see two opposing views right here, and you probably have felt this before in your life, that there is a tug of war that's going on on a day-to-day basis between the flesh and the spirit. Have you ever felt that before, that this conflict that's inside of you, these competing desires? You want to want God, but you just don't want God. You know what I'm talking about? I want this, but I don't really want this. And it's this competing desire in your heart, this idea of, I really love Jesus, but why do I continue to struggle with purity? It's because you have a flesh. And the flesh always produces legalism or lawlessness. If you're taking notes today, I would write that down. The flesh always produces legalism or lawlessness. Now, we talked extensively last week about uh, legalism and how we, in our own nature, always want to resort back to legalism because it's what we know. The problem with uh, legalism is that you can never obtain salvation by your own effort. Your own effort comes from the flesh, and your flesh can never please God. The problem with, law, with legalism is that you will never be able to do enough. You will always come short of the glory of God. So because we can't reach God through legalism, we try to resort to lawlessness. The flesh will produce lawlessness. And lawlessness, instead of trying to please God, we try to, uh, in trying harder and doing more, lawlessness looks to please itself. I'm not trying to follow rules to please God. Forget that. I'm going to please myself. The problem with lawlessness is I will do whatever I want, whenever I want, and however I want, always leads to dissatisfaction, to destruction, and even damnation. All of us have experienced that before, haven't we? We have experienced this lawlessness where we're like, forget it, I'm just going to do what I want to do. But we know what that road leads to, dissatisfaction every single time. And we've seen story after story of folks that have, have pursued it their own way, and it's led to damnation. Legalism can never produce fruit because it tries to earn salvation by holding to a law it cannot keep. And legalism can never produce fruit because it tries to live by a false freedom that always pulls you back into slavery and it never satisfies. So when you choose to gratify the flesh and plant the root of your heart in the flesh, it ends up producing the works of the flesh. 
And so Paul's going to go on here and he's going to list us all the works of the flesh. Look at your scripture in verse number 19. It says this, now the works of the flesh are evident. This word evident means there, I mean, we all see them, right? If you just, if, if I start listing these off, you're going to be able to say, yep, that's in our world. Yep, that's in my life. Yep, this is in, in a world. This is the way the brokenness looks like in the world because these are works of the flesh. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Paul gives us 16 characteristics of what lawlessness looks like. The first three are sexual in nature because a lot of the times the way that we uh, reveal the works of the flesh in our life are in, in a sexual way. So it says sexual immorality, impurity, and sensualism. For all my adults in the room, that means unmarried, unnatural, or uncontrolled desires. Those are the works of the flesh. The following two have to do with corrupt religion. The first one, idolatry. When you love other things more than God, or sorcery, when you try to manipulate God through good luck charms, through rituals, or through a prosperity gospel. Next, Paul gives us eight words that describe relational conflict. When I read through these, you're going to be able to see them all over the place. Maybe you experienced some of them with some of your knucklehead family at Thanksgiving. What's it say? Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, and envy. These are all characteristics of the work of the flesh that are played out in our relationships. Finally, he gives us three words that, that pertain to substance abuse. He says drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, where you need something to make you feel alive. You need a hit. You need a release of dopamine to make yourself feel alive and free, whether that's drugs or alcohol or pornography or uh, 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 impulse buying, or maybe it's that you have to have likes on Instagram and Facebook, but it's what you crave in your flesh to make you feel alive. These are the works of the flesh. He goes on in verse number 21 and says, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not in inherit the kingdom of God. That word do such things means practice. So let's read it again. I warn you, as I warned you before, those who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. This means habitual practice. This is that you are controlled by the flesh, that you continue to do these things, not infrequent and repented lapses. All of us will lapse back into these flesh, into these fleshly desires, but if you do not habitually practice these, is what it's talking about. If you delight in these things and pursue these things, you have no part in the kingdom of God if you continually practice these things. All of us in the room this morning are thinking, oh man, all of these things are evident in my life. Is Casey saying this morning that I am not going to inherit the kingdom of God because I struggle with one of these things or, or some of these things on here? What it is is a habitual practice that you continue to do these things without confession and without conviction. Now, it's called the process of sanctification. I like this definition that Jen Wilkins gives on sanctification. I think it helps us understand what this text is saying. She says this, sanctification rarely looks like an immediate ceasing of a particular sin. It more often looks like an increase in the distance between repeated sins and a decrease in the distance between committing them and confessing them. Let me say that for you again, that this idea of not continuing in your sin, a good barometer for you to uh, check, am I uh, truly a believer this morning? Am I going to inherit the kingdom of God? Is the process of sanctification happening in your life? Is there an increase in the distance between when you repeat sins, these works of the flesh, 
And is there a decrease in time between when you commit them and when you confess them? If that is happening, then the Holy Spirit right now is assuring you of your salvation. If not, if you can repeatedly sin and do the works of the flesh without confession and without conviction, then the Holy Spirit right now is convicting you uh, of your need for a Savior. That's what Paul is telling us right here. Remember these works of the flesh, meaning this list here is, we don't, don't recognize this list as here or how bad people live. That's not the way that Paul intended it to be. It is a list. Here is what sin makes all of us do. Okay, don't start looking at this list and say, yeah, this is somebody else's problem. Sin makes all of us do this problem, and we all have this sin nature in us. That's why we confess. That's why we repent and believe, and the Holy Spirit begins to work out this sanctification in us. We all tried planting the root of our hearts in the soil of the flesh and learned only that it leads to dissatisfaction. All of us have done that. So let's not get too high and mighty this morning and start pointing to other people's works of the flesh. It's in all of us. It's only through the grace and mercy of God and the extension of Jesus Christ in our life that we are able to be set free from these works of the flesh. So we need a power in us to help us overcome these works of the flesh. And this power has been given to us by the Holy Spirit. You can't do it, but he can do it and the truth is, it's already been done for you when you, receive the, when you receive and plant the root of your faith in the soul of the gospel, the Spirit always produces fruit and freedom. If you're taking notes, the Spirit always produces freedom and fruit. We talked about freedom last week, and I'm not going to go into a great deal on that uh, today. We talked about freedom, and freedom can only be found in the person of Jesus Christ. Verse 1 says this, for freedom you have been set free, Galatians 5.1. You are free, not because of your works, but because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. So live in that freedom. We spent 30 minutes talking about that last week. So what I want to do is spend most of our time this week talking about how the Spirit produces fruit. What's it say here? In verse 22 and 23, let's read it again. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, it's important that you understand the fruit of the Spirit is. If you Once again, if you're in your Bible there, is. We immediately notice that it's not works, it's fruit. We practice works of the flesh, but the fruit of the Spirit is, is supernaturally produced in us. There's a difference between works, plural, and fruit, singular. We practice works. The Holy Spirit produces fruit. It's the fruit of the Spirit, meaning these ninefold characteristics that we see in this passage flow from Him. He alone is the source of this fruit. We are but His channel for the fruit. They are His work produced in us and through us. We cannot manufacture this fruit on our own. The word fruit is intentionally singular in contrast to works being plural. The point is the unity of purpose. The unity of purpose behind the fruit of the Spirit is Christ's likeness. You want to know what a Christian should look like? He should look like Christ. If you go through this fruit of the Spirit, this is not so much for you to have a list of things to do and not do. This is more of a list of who Jesus Christ is in your life. 
that he is peace, that he is patience, that he is kindness, that he is goodness, that he is faithfulness. And we as his children, as we represent him, we have the opportunity to be little Christ Christians through the power of the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit has but one goal in our life, Christ-likeness. It is tempting for us to look at a list like this and to see these nine virtues and desire a plan and a purpose for us to be able to complete them. So we try to complete them through a self-effort. We set up a plan. We work the plan. We set goals. We work the goals. And we might produce this fruit, but I promise you this, this fruit is going to be hollow. This fruit upon better examination is going to be plastic. It's going to be phony because it was made in our own strength. Only God can produce spiritual fruit. The Christian life is not a work, works of the flesh. It's a walk. Let me say that for you again. The Christian life is not a work. It's a walk. It's not what you do that makes you who you are. It's whose you are that should dictate what you do. The works of the flesh, when you begin to follow legalism and you begin the Christian life as work, it becomes exhausting. You don't produce love, joy, and peace through self-effort. The Holy Spirit is the secret to spiritual victory and vitality. It's only through the Holy Spirit. So let's look again in our scripture in verse number 16. To win the war that's within, this battle that's going on between the flesh and the spirit, God has given us a supernatural, uh, uh, a spiritual command that must be carried out. And it must be carried out faithfully. It is found in verse number 16. In verse number 16, we see this phrase, walk by the spirit. In some translations, it says walk in the spirit. The word walk is a present active imperative, meaning we are commanded to keep walking. It's not a one-time thing, but it's a continual thing that we continue to keep walking. You say, Casey, this is a little confusing to me. I don't understand exactly what it means to walk in the Spirit. The good news is we have other passages in Scripture that we can use to help us understand what it means to walk in the Spirit. You see, the best Bible study tip that I can give you is when one passage is unclear, compare it against other Scripture. Scripture is the best commentary for Scripture. So if you look in Ephesians chapter 5 in verse number 18, there's a parallel passage that goes with Galatians chapter 5. If you flip over there in your, in, your, in your Bible, it's just a couple pages, flip over to Ephesians chapter 5 just for a second, you'll see in verse number 18 it says, Do not get drunk with wine where it leads to reckless action, but be filled with the Spirit. And then what does it do? It has a big long list after it says being filled with the Spirit that is similar in nature to the fruit of the Spirit. It says the evidence of someone that is filled with the Spirit, and it starts talking about speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So this is a parallel passage or a sister passage that helps us better understand what it means to live or walk by the Spirit. Now, in the old King James, it says this. It says, be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. What Paul is doing here is not giving us a license uh, to be able to be drunk. What he's doing is giving us an example for us to understand what it means to be Spirit-filled. Because we've all encountered someone before that's drunk. We would call it someone that is uh, under the influence of alcohol. So if I could just give you a picture this morning, someone that is under the influence of alcohol, we all would understand that it affects the way they talk, the way they walk, the way that they interact with others, uh, their, uh, their manners, the way they drive, all these different things. And we would say that person is under the influence of a substance. 
Well, what the writer here is telling us is, I want you to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit in the same way that alcohol produces the way that someone walks and talks and interacts is the same way that I want the Holy Spirit to be for you. It should be evident to everyone that's around you that that person is under the influence of the Holy Spirit because the way they walk, the way they talk, the way they interact, the way that they uh, communicate with others, it's evident in the same way that it's evident to us that someone is uh, drunk. He's giving us that picture. We need to understand this. This phrase is not commanding empty Christians to acquire something they don't already have. We have all of the Holy Spirit that we need at salvation. He's not asking us to get more of the Holy Spirit. We already have that living in us from the time that we repent and believe. If we understand this Greek word to be filled that we find in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18, it would actually be translated to us, be being kept filled. Now that's not good English, but it's good preaching. Be being kept filled. This is the idea of keeping yourself constantly filled and yielded moment by moment to the leading of the Spirit. It is the perfect fit for the process of what it means to walk by the Spirit. In English, when we use the word fill, a lot of times we'll talk about maybe pouring water into a glass, sweet tea into a glass, milk into a glass, and we fill it to the brim all the way to the top. Or we talk about what it means to go to the gas station and fill your tank up with gas. Now, these are good examples, but it's not really exactly what the Greek writer was uh, trying to communicate to us, what it means to be filled or being filled. The Greek word here has really three different shades or three different ways to communicate to us as believers of what it means to be filled. The first one is this, pressure. Pressure. The idea here is that a a boat, a sailboat that's out to sea is being pressured by the wind or forced by the wind to be able to move. What the writer here is communicating to us, the Holy Spirit is the force behind the movement of our life spiritually. How we move in our spiritual journey comes from the pressure or the force or the wind in the sails of the life of the believer. Being filled, pressure. The second way that it communicates to us is permeation. This word permeation means that this smell, this taste permeates the rest of the dish. Maybe it is a strong taste of garlic or a strong taste of cilantro or maybe smoke that's in your barbecue, amen? This, uh, I'm talking about every bite that you taste, you can tell this specific ingredient. Every smell, you can smell this ingredient. What it's talking about here, when the Holy Spirit permeates our life, others around us will be able to sense, smell, and taste that there is something different about us, that there is the Holy Spirit in us. The third way that it helps us understand this word fill is domination. This Greek word domination, this word domination is used most frequently in the Gospels, and mostly it's used in when uh, someone would talk about an emotion, that they were overcome with a sense of fear. They were overcome with a sense of sorrow. They were overcome with a sense of shame. This was the dominating emotion that they were experiencing. What the writer's trying to communicate to us is this. The Holy Spirit should be the dominating emotion, the dominating characteristic of the life of the believer. 
So the diagnostic question for us would be this morning, is the Holy Spirit the force with which your spiritual maturity is moving? Is the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer, is he permeating all of your life where everyone around you can taste and see the goodness of God as they experience you on a daily basis? Is the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer the dominating emotion, the dominating attribute in the life of the believer? thus producing the fruit of the Spirit. As we end today, I want to look at one last verse, Galatians chapter 5 and verse number 24. It says this, And those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. This idea of keeping in step goes hand in hand with what it means to be filled by the Spirit. But if you had a dog up here this morning that you were training, and you were training that dog to keep with you step by step, every time you took a step, they would take a step. This is what it's talking about, that you would keep step by step with the Holy Spirit. You wouldn't get out in front of the Holy Spirit. You wouldn't drag behind the Holy Spirit, but you would walk step by step with the Holy Spirit. The flesh, what we would consider the old nature, this old nature that we have inside of us, behold, I'm a new creation in Christ, old things are passed away, behold, all things have become new. This old nature that you have that is characterized by the flesh resists and opposes God's spiritual work at every turn. So we must live in the reality of Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I liveth in me, yeah, uh, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Salvation in our old nature was nailed to the cross and left for dead. At salvation, that flesh was nailed to the cross. And when it was nailed to the cross, I am characterized now as a new creation in Christ. All things are passed away, all things are new. That old nature is dead. Nailed to a cross. Crucifixion during that time was a slow and agonizing death. A person could remain alive for day after day. They would either eventually die by suffocation or by blood loss, but the crucifixion was an agonizing death that took much time. The problem with the old nature, our flesh, is that even though it has been crucified, we keep helping it down off the cross and reviving it. What we need this morning is we need to fill out a DNR on the flesh. Do not resuscitate. It has been crucified with Christ. We need to leave it dead. This is not speaking of a daily decision to get up on the cross. I've heard pastors say that, and I can agree with it, but I don't think that's the best translation of what this text is telling us this morning. We don't need to daily decide to get up on the cross. We need to daily decide not to come down from the cross. That is our goal. That, that is our, if we want to truly crucify the flesh, don't give, it a, don't give it an opportunity to come alive again. Let's keep it dead. Why? Because it's crucified on the cross. Don't revive it. As we think of this this morning, the only way that we can do this is through the power of the Holy Spirit. Because only the Holy Spirit produces in us freedom in Christ and fruit and God has called us to freedom, to live free, live in his fullness, and live in his fruitfulness. 
And he's given us the power of the Holy Spirit to do that. So I would encourage you, stop with the self-effort and yield to the Holy Spirit so you can live a life of freedom and fruitfulness for God's glory and for the goodness of those that are around us. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and we're so thankful for your word and its prescriptive nature that it works on us in the areas that we need work and it reveals areas of our life that are left unsurrendered. And it gives us uh, evidences and checks for us to see the works of the flesh that are lived out in our lives, the evidences of the Holy Spirit that are lived out in our lives. You may be here this morning and as I've talked about the works of the flesh, you're unsure this morning based upon the works in your life if that you will inherit the kingdom of God. My purpose this morning wasn't to make you doubt. My purpose this morning is to give you assurance. And today, as we uh, sing here in just a moment a song of uh, response, I'd like to help you understand the assurance that you can have that you are uh, in Christ. Maybe you've never made that decision to um, trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Today, I'd like to introduce you to King Jesus, my Lord and my Savior, so that this Holy Spirit can be gifted to you to produce fruit. If you're a believer in the room this morning, maybe you uh, see the fruit and you see the Spirit and the Holy Spirit's working on you this morning, just uh, uh, convicting you of some areas that you haven't surrendered or some areas that you need to stop trying to do through self-effort and that you just need to surrender to the control of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit speaking to us this morning, I pray that we'll have the courage to obey. Heavenly Father, thank you once again for your word. Thank you that we have the ability to demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit in us for your glory and for the good of those that are around us, pointing others to the goodness of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the podcast for Green Hill Church. For more information about Green Hill Church, go to greenhillchurch.com. Thanks for listening.